these last weeks is found in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. Nehemiah 4, 14. Here's what's recorded. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. In other words, fight for what matters. That's what we've been processing uh, these last couple of months, and we continue today. Fight for what matters most. Now, I remind us this morning that the Bible is not so much a religious book as it is a relationship manual. Not so much a religious book as it is a relationship manual. It tells us how we might have a relationship with God, the Father, through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all laid out in there, very clearly, correct? But the Bible also tells us how we might have relationships with everyone around us, whether it's at work or in our home, in our community, wherever else we have relationships. Now, a key ingredient of a healthy relationship is forgiveness. Would you agree with that? If you're going to have a strong and healthy and vibrant and growing relationship, forgiveness is absolutely key. In fact, I think forgiveness is the oil that keeps any and every relationship running smoothly the way that God intends for it to. And one of the foundational truths that sets Christianity apart from other world religions is this idea of forgiveness. God is a forgiving God. It's an amazing kind of concept that he forgives us. Forgiveness is so very necessary in our fight for what matters most. So we continue with that theme, all right? Here we go. Now, for the next two weeks, I'd like us to look at the story, this story that is at the same time very painful and yet very beautiful. And isn't that life? The stories of our life, often painful and yet often beautiful as well. Now, shout out to Pastor Craig Groeschel for stirring some of these thoughts in me as I read some of his writings, and we'll see how God looks at the idea of fighting for forgiveness through a couple named Homer, or Hosea and Gomer. Hosea and Gomer. Now, Hosea's the guy, and Gomer's the unfortunate woman who got stuck with a really strange name. (laughs) Now, Gomer, I mean, that's almost as bad as Hagar, right? I don't see any of you naming your kids those things. Gomer, hmm, kind of reminds me of Gomer Pyle. You remember Gomer Pyle? Yeah, okay, anyway. The word Hosea in Hebrew means salvation. And we're going to see how that plays out over these next couple of weeks. The word Hosea means salvation. Salvation means to be rescued, delivered, saved from. All right? Uh, From their lives, we're going to learn how to fight for forgiveness. We're going to learn how to fight for forgiveness. So let's set the stage this morning. What's happening here? It was 760 years before the birth of Jesus. Jeroboam II was the king of the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of Israel uh, to the north, and they were enjoying a period of unprecedented prosperity. Things were going quite well. However, history teaches us that generally, most often speaking, when there is economic increase, there is almost automatically spiritual and moral decrease. Any culture. And as our economy booms, I guarantee you we will see a decrease in morality and spirituality because our needs are all met financially through the economy. 
And we have a tendency to forget God when that happens. So uh, what was written then is relevant right now. So God raised up this prophet named Hosea to speak to the spiritual adultery in the hard hearts of his people that he loves and that he cherishes. And so God asked the unprofit to do something that would kind of blow our minds. So we start in Hosea at chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute. Hmm. Go and marry a prostitute. Doesn't that sound like a winning combination? Huh. Go and marry a prostitute. Really? Why would God say something like this? Well, the answer is found in the rest of that verse. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Wow. Okay. So, quite literally, he says to Hosea, go and marry a prostitute, and this is going to be a living example for everyone to see what my people are really doing with me. Hmm. Now, sometimes God's commands are hard to get our head around. Have you found that to be true? Like, wow, kind of blow the top off. Like, what? What? There's so much meaning under so many layers in the story. And the first layer is obvious. The prophet Hosea is told to marry, call for a good time, Gomer. Go do it, kid. Right? Okay. And other layers, the picture of God loving his wayward and his immoral people, Israel, 760 B.C., Under that is yet another layer that reveals God is loving, God is forgiving, God is welcoming us as we continue to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to wander. And do just the opposite of what he wants us to do. But back to our story. So, chapter 1, verse 2. So Hosea married Gomer, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. Isn't that wonderful? Now we got kids involved. Kind of a game changer, isn't it? Now, if you're single, not yet married, or married without children, I guarantee you, when you do have children, everything changes. And together, all the parents said, okay, yeah, (laughs) having kids is kind of a game changer in your relationship, right? Yeah, yeah. So if this story were today, it goes something like this. You got this girl with a really nasty past, right? So she meets this young preacher, and God tells the young preacher... Uh, marry this girl. And the preacher's probably thinking something like, well, if God told me to do it, all things work out together for the good of those who love him and call according to purpose, I can probably reach her. If God told me to do it, it's got to turn out right, right? Right? Okay? We'll see. The girl's probably feeling like she's just won the lottery. Oh, man, he treats me nice. He's not looking for just one thing from me. And he's got a real job. And I like his family. This is a dream come true, right? This has got to be great. So with hopes and dreams of a new start and a clean slate, they go off and they get married. Woohoo! What a celebration. After a while, they get the ultrasound, and you know what? It's a boy! So they have their reveal and their baby showers, and they paint his walls blue. And finally, here comes the little guy, and he's born. He's got your toes. He's got my eyes. Isn't this wonderful? I'm so happy we're just dreaming together. <laughs> Then life happens. Ministry starts to grow, right? He's busy, busy at church. Spend a lot of time at church. He's resentful because he's not helping with the kids. He doesn't want to change poopy diapers or wipe. Snotty noses. He's not into that kind of thing. He'd rather be at work. So she's ticked because he doesn't take out the garbage like her daddy used to do. 
<laughs> so she's upset. She's letting herself go. Her body's not what it used to be. And she's up and down with some whacked out hormones after the pregnancy. She's feeling trapped. He's feeling neglected. Isn't this wonderful? <laughs> then one day an old boyfriend talks to her on Facebook. She goes down to the gym. She's trying to get back in shape. Cute trainer gives her a little wink. She's like, woohoo. So she takes a part-time job because finances are tight. And there's a guy at work who's really extra nice to her, right? Hmm. The studly trainer dude gives her even more attention. So she buys into this lie. She buys into the lie and convinces herself that what she's missing is better than what she has. And some of us are teetering right at that point right now. And you're fighting off and resisting the lie. That very same lie that can permeate our thinking. That what I'm missing is better than what I actually have. And it's a lie. Well, what does she do? I got a pretty good guy here, but he's not meeting all my needs. So what does she do? Hosea chapter 2, verse 5. She said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them. That's what I know. That's the way I've lived. And that's what I'm going to go back to. And that's what Gomer did. Huh. She hooks up with other guys. She gets pregnant. He has more kids. So now she has a daughter. God actually told Hosea to name his daughter Loruhamah, which means unpitied, unloved, or not loved by the true father. Isn't that a painful name? You're not really loved by your father. In fact, you might even know, even know who your father is. Huh? This name reveals the pain that God feels for his wayward sons and daughters. It reveals the heart of God. She finds another guy. She gets pregnant again. God says, call him Loami, which means no kin of mine. You're not related to me. You're not mine. <laughs> this is getting ugly. Hosea knew the pain of the love of his life cheating on him. If you've ever been cheated on, you know that pain. And there are people in this room who know that kind of pain. It may not have happened physically, but cheating can happen in all kinds of different ways. God knows what it feels like to be cheated on. We get that? Father knows what it's like to be cheated on. We hear the hurt in him when his people are rejecting him over and over and over again. He, he comes with his love and his forgiveness. <clears throat> the people he so loved, they're out there committing spiritual adultery with all the gods of the land. And he knows what it's like to feel cheated on. Now, if you read through this book, it's intriguing to me to watch God process his pain. <laughs> God does that. He, his hurt turns to jealousy, his jealousy to anger, and amazingly, even his jealousy and anger are all rooted in his love and his care for us. That's the kind of amazing God that we have. So let's keep tracking with the story. We hear the hurt of his heart. Now, in this size group, there are those who are rebelling against God's plan and God's ways for you right now. You are openly rebelling against God. Now, none of us can see that, but you and God know that. There's some area in our life in which we are openly rebelling against God. He is grieved, and he will respond because he loves us, but he disciplines those he loves. That's how much he loves us, right? And this is how God responded to his wayward children, Israel. We read in Hosea chapter 2 again. 
She doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil. I even gave her silver and gold, but she gave all my gifts to Baal. But now I will take back the ripened grain and the new wine I generously provided each harvest season. I will take away the wool and linen clothing I gave her to cover her nakedness. I will strip her naked in public while all her lovers look on. No one will be able to rescue her from my hands. You think God's serious about this? (laughs) He is. And that's how much he loves us. That's how much he loves us. Can we hear the hurt of his heart? He loves us just the way we are. He loves us. Even in our waywardness, he loves us. And he gets jealous when we stray after other gods. He does. Here's what Moses wrote in Exodus. You must worship no other gods, for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. You ever think of God like that? He's jealous over his relationship with you. And so when we turn and we chase after other things, he gets jealous. His name is jealous. That's an attribute, a characteristic of the very nature of God. He gets jealous. Why? He desires our heart's affections. And when we choose to go on way and do our own thing, kind of flirt with the world, kind of play with fire, whoa, whoa, he gets jealous. But because he loves us, he'll let us go. You want to go down that path? He doesn't stop us, generally. True love works like that. He waits. He waits. And he loves because true love never fails, right? Isn't that what 1 Corinthians 13 says? Love never fails. Huh? Yeah? He forgives. He never gives up. Should you? Should you? Now, I ask you, if you are in a relationship with another person and you're ready to quit because they've hurt you, they betrayed you, They've done things that have just devastated your life. I'm asking, is it time to quit? I'm saying and suggesting that God never quits on the relationship. Now, there's a time, as we'll see in a moment, when it's over. But I'm saying, and I'm just asking, is it really time to quit? We quit too soon sometimes. Because love never gives up. Love never fails. Fight! That's what God does for us. He fights for the relationship. He wants us to fight as well. So here's the deal. We're not going anywhere if God is angry with us. you agree with that? We're not going anywhere if he's angry with us. Ooh. But you know what? He's not. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor does he remain angry forever. Whoa, that's some liberating news. Here's how Micah put it, Micah 7.18. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stray angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. This is an amazing, amazing characteristic of our loving God. He doesn't stay angry with us. He loves us. Because of that unfailing love, God will make a way where there seems to be no way in that relationship. And he says, but then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and get this, transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. I will transform that valley of trouble 
into a gateway of hope. Huh. That is an incredible picture. We're going to pick it up here next week with this thought, but let me finish this one for today. Here's where we're going to start next week with a valley of trouble being transformed into a gateway of hope. It's a marvelous picture. It all begins if we choose to forgive, and it starts with forgiving ourselves. Now, does the Bible say that we should forgive ourselves anywhere? Can you think of a verse where the Bible says you've got to forgive yourself? Anybody? Theologians, Bible scholars? Well, no, it's not specifically addressed, but it's assumed. The Bible makes other assumptions, like Jesus would say, love your neighbor as yourself. It's implied that you love yourself. The Bible never says love yourself because we love because he first loved us and I love myself in light of who I am in Jesus. And I can't know myself, I can't love myself until I get to the point where I understand the love of God that he has for me. So it's an assumption. So here's an assumption, right? You got to forgive yourself. You got to forgive your Self. We must forgive ourselves before we stand a chance at forgiving anybody else. And forgiving yourself is essential. There's this tendency in many of us to hold others to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. And so we play this game of constantly beating ourselves up for what we've done. Right? Right? Ever do that? I do that. I do that. Hard for me to forgive myself. I'm harder on myself than I am on anybody else. And perhaps you're one of those who can forgive others. Even though they've done something terrible to you, yet you struggle to forgive yourself even for the tiniest thing. Huh. Maybe forgiving yourself isn't even on your radar because you think you better never forgive yourself, you better never forget what you did or you're going to do it again. So keep beating yourself up. That way you won't do it again. <laughs> Talk about self-atonement. Perhaps you believe there's some kind of lifelong penance this penalty you got to pay for the rest of your life because of what you did back then. This isn't biblical thinking in any way, folks. It's not biblical thinking in any way. Uh-uh, doesn't work that way. You see, forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice that every one of us can make right now. We can. Here's what Paul said. Make allowance for each other's faults. Huh. Maybe i got to make allowance for my own faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Ha! Huh. We're going to talk about that next week, but this week I want to make sure that we all understand God's forgiveness extends to us. For some of us, that means we've got to forgive ourselves. We've got to forgive ourselves. To say I can't forgive is not true. To say I won't forgive, that is true. Because forgiveness is a choice, and God gives every person in this room a choice right now to forgive and to release it, to let it go. That's a choice each of us have to make about that relationship. Now, forgiveness is not a sacred suggestion, this kind of suggestion that God makes so that our lives might run a little bit smoother. That's not what I'm talking about. It's a command assuring that our relationships will be healthy and growing. And if we're going to fight for our relationships, forgiveness is absolutely critically essential. I don't want to move beyond this too fast, but time 
is gone. Forgiving someone who has hurt us is a difficult decision. <laughs> That's an understatement. For God's grace will give us all that we need because he knows exactly what we're feeling. Even if our head and heart scream, no, I'm not going to forgive you. I can't forgive you. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. I believe that. Fight for forgiveness. It's right there. God is offering it to us through the cross, through what Jesus has done for us. But more next week. I'd ask you to read the first three chapters of Hosea. Get an idea, familiarize yourself with this prophet and what happens. And we're going to pick it up, what happened the rest of his life? What happens with Gomer? Does she come back? Does she not come back? How does the story end? We'll pick this up next week, all right? And it's my desire that we all be set free. And know the forgiveness that God has for us. Because if we confess our sin, he is what? faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's exactly right. He's waiting for us to let this thing go. To let it go. And he's offering us forgiveness right now. And for some of us, we've got to forgive ourselves. Can you forgive yourself? You can't. But through God's grace, you can forgive yourself. You mess up. Who hasn't? Who hasn't? We all have. God still loves us. Amazing. 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 Next week, part two. Okay? Hosea. And I'm really excited about next week because Kyleen is going to share from the other side of the Flores story. You've heard Chris up here at Mother's Day and Father's Day. Now you're going to hear from a woman who receives someone back and forgiveness has kept you together. But it's not over. And there's more forgiveness needed. And yet, I love the story because it's our story. It's my story. And it's your story. And someone's bold enough to tell us our own story. I appreciate that. So come back next week. We'll hear the rest of that story or the next installment of that story. Then on the 15th, uh, we're going to take the principles that we've learned through this fight series, and we're going to review them quickly. Then we're going to open it up to you guys. What questions do you have? How do we fight? What's God stirred in you or triggered in you? Maybe it's a testimony. Maybe it's a question. Maybe it's a clarification. But we want to all do this together, process this series. Okay, so that's what we'll do on the 15th. Then the 22nd will be at King Park. Same time, different place. We'll meet here, meet out at King Park, and we'll have an outdoor service. And those who desire to follow the Lord in baptism, nothing like Lake Michigan getting baptized, right? So if you're interested, please let the church office know, and we'll make those arrangements, get that started. Okay, any questions or comments? Okay.